We're going to climb a mountain on the Carolina outdoors. We're going to get to the top, celebrate it, and then make our way down and tell everyone about it. Welcome, everyone, to the Carolina outdoors. Each week we come in to break down for your listening pleasure stories of adventure and the people that are making them happen. Bill Barty over here on this side. And Wes Lawson over here. Bill, we're going to go mountain climbing, aren't we? We are. We're going to climb to the top. We're going to find out what it takes. We're going to find out the good parts of a trip and the bad parts Mm -hmm. of a trip. And that's what happens. Who are we going to find this out from? A father, a son, a husband, a neighbor, a friend, and an adventurer. His name's Scott Wurzbacher, and he just recently went to Tanzania, Africa, we're going to find out why, why that itch came about and why he decided to scratch it. Without further ado, we're going to bring him on right now. Scott Wurzbacher, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors. Oh, Bill and Wes, it's so uh, such a pleasure to be here. I- I'm still stiff from the climb down, so um, I'm-, I'm still trying to-, to nurse myself back to health here. Any black toenails? We need to. We'll just hit that off. When you're coming down, for those who don't know, for those that do know, you've been this way. But coming down in hiking boots that are too short, your your nails and toes punch the front, and it's painful, and your toes will be black by the end of a trip like that. Scott, did you have any of that going on? No, no black toenails, Bill. Thankfully, I had a little bit of room in the end of my shoes. Um, but I will tell you, you know, in seven days of climbing, we just kept moving, and there was no soreness the whole time until the way down. Because, <laughs> like, coming down that mountain, boy, it, it tears up your knees and your calves. It, it, and it felt good the next day, and I'm still feeling it. Listen, we need to set this up a little bit better because, Scott, you're an engineer by training, but you're also the principal of W Realty, so you're a realtor um, by vocation. But you're also an adventurer, an adventurer to the extent of you started a podcast celebrating other people's adventures. It's called Inspire Campfire, and it's where ordinary people get to tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. So how does an engineer to realtor to adventurer turn into a podcaster? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, you know, fact of the matter is we all have our own hero's journey and, and it all does kind of tie together. Boy, you know, how does engineering lead to real estate, which which then leads to, uh, you know, this this call to adventure? Um, I think I'll leave the uh, the first 25 years of my professional career in engineering and, and business and real estate for another day. But I think you could probably call Inspire Campfire maybe maybe a bit of a, a midlife crisis. But we all you know, we all feel that sense of adventure and. And um, I've always loved going on trips, and and I've always kind of gravitated more towards uh, natural experiences like hiking in the woods and the mountains and and really more adventure-type experiences rather than than going to the beach and, you know, just sitting there and drinking margaritas, although that that has its place as well. Um, But, yeah, recently I just uh, I've had a couple of outdoor experiences where, you know, just kind of sitting there and just feeling this sort of sense of awe and this like reverential peace and respect for whether it was a sunset or just a mountain that's in front of me and just feeling like overwhelmed with just 
a sense that I'm in my happy place and, you know, this really is what it means to be following my bliss. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that's very introspective, Bill, and I think a lot about things like meaning and purpose. And what I find is when I'm out in the woods, I don't ask those questions because I'm out there living it directly. It's just, it feels great to be out there. And, and the podcast is really just um, something to encourage and inspire others to, to get outside and, and hopefully experience the same. Well, we feel a kinship with that here on the Carolina Outdoors. But uh, from a camping trip to the Outer Banks to a trip to the boundary waters of canoeing, um, where does a trip to Tanzania, Africa, and Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest peak on the continent of Africa, how does that happen? And then how do you prepare? Yeah, I I love the question because it was really interesting. Um, I I don't know how long ago it was, but... Um, I've had a vision board and just a kind of a bucket list. I call it my Goddard's list for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And it's just a list of things that, you know, I want to accomplish at some point. And Kilimanjaro was always on the list. And uh, actually sitting here in my office, I'm looking across at my vision board right now, and there's a picture of Kilimanjaro on it. And I don't know why 10 years ago I printed this picture and put it on this board. But my friend Carl Miller called me up about two years ago, and I was standing in the same place in my office, and he said, Hey, Scott, you know, I was just thinking about maybe putting a group of guys together and climbing Kilimanjaro. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And here I am staring at my vision board and a picture of Kilimanjaro, and I thought to myself, gosh, there's a lot of things on this board. If not now, then when? So I said yes, and the rest is history. And what did it take to get ready for that trip? I mean, did you spend the next two years carrying heavy bags from the neighborhood? Did you do a bunch (laughs) of small climbs? What was it like getting ready for taking a trip, a summit, to one of the highest peaks in the world? Well, the first thing you got to do is go see uh, Wes and Bill Barty at Jesse Brown's because they, they know what you need, and they know the gear that we need. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm always, I've always been a pretty active person. Um, you know, I have a pretty regular exercise routine, and I consider myself to be in pretty good shape. Um, this climb, I can tell you, is is far more of a mental challenge than it is a physical challenge. In fact, when you go out there, you're going to hear from numerous people that the people that are in really, really good shape are almost more at risk of not making it to the top than those that aren't. Mm. And uh, the reason for that is uh, in Swahili, they, they like to say pole, pole. That's sort of the mantra when you're climbing up that mountain. And what that means is slowly slowly and boy i gotta tell you if there's if there's one piece of advice for anybody that's absolutely it is the slower you go the more likely it is that you're going to summit and uh so a lot of times the people that are in really really good shape they get out there and they're raring to go and and race up to the top but you know those folks the faster they go the more they more easily they wear themselves out and and uh you know don't have the stamina left at the end so i you know i was i was appreciative to to lean into my guides and, and listen to the advice. And uh, I made sure I wasn't the first in line. I, I made sure to stay back behind my guide and, and keep his pace instead of trying to keep my own. Yeah, that, uh, you know, at those altitudes, you can run into all kinds of problems, you know, uh, different kinds of anemia. It can, it, it can really be bad for everybody. And I can certainly understand people who are real type A go-getters uh, trying to, to prove to the world they can get there, suddenly have a real bad headache and can't catch their breath. It's not a good thing. So um, being a, an already active person, an outdoors person, what really caught you by surprise about Kilimanjaro? Well, um, I, I, 
the, the mental aspect of it. I mean, I knew it was going to be a, a, a mental challenge, but I think, you know, there's a real uncertainty. Just, just knowing what I knew going in, you don't know how altitude sickness is going to affect you. You don't know if it's going to affect you. Uh, there's a whole range of, of symptoms that you could experience. And I think for me, um, I'll be honest, I'm uh, at least mildly neurotic. And uh, so, you know, the, the range of symptoms that, that I recognized that I could potentially experience were sort of weighing on me the whole time on my radar is kind of up for all those things. And so, you know, as I'm, as I'm putting one foot after the other going up towards the summit, especially as we got higher and higher, you know, trying to keep those sort of worry thoughts at bay was a real it was a real challenge for me. And I can say that that, that struggle was real. Um, and, and the thing that helped me overcome it was, um, sounds cliche, but it was really just a focus on my breath and a focus on counting my breath because mm-hmm. I felt like as I, as I slowly climbed the mountain one foot after the other, as I concentrated on breath and I concentrated on counting the breath. I was able to maintain a consistent level of oxygen throughout my body, but also was able to kind of keep those worry thoughts at bay. And as soon as I lost that rhythm, the worry thoughts come in, the nausea comes in, and uh, just got right back to the breath. And it, it's, it's pretty amazing how, like, just those little fundamental things can keep you going. Scott Wurtzbacher is our guest here on the Carolina Outdoors. He's lead principal at W Realty as well as the head podcaster of Inspire Campfire, which helps encourage people to find and celebrate their own adventures. And, Scott, we oftentimes talk to a friend, another friend of the Carolina Outdoors, Macon Dunnigan, who so many times, um, who's going to be on this episode, actually, of the Carolina Outdoors as well, giving some uh, different insight into Kilimanjaro and traveling over there. But he oftentimes talks about, the guides and the porters that help make these trips possible, a part of the Tanzanian economy. Can you speak on on the guides and porters that helped uh, lead the way to the top of Kilimanjaro with your adventure? My gosh, I would be absolutely honored to because those those guys, the guides and the porters, they truly are the real heroes of that place. Uh, And it really is incredible. They do everything that they possibly can to keep you safe. Um, but also if, if it's going to be possible, they'll get you up to the top of the mountain. Our lead guide, so we worked with Zara Tours, uh, there in Tanzania and our lead guide, uh, his name was God Listen, and he has summited Kilimanjaro over 500 times. And so I don't care who you are. If you've summited 500 times, you've got the experience, uh, that I'm going to listen to that, that I'm going to trust, uh, to get up to the top of that mountain. And that's exactly what I did. But, those men that work that mountain are unbelievably strong and just they're so committed and they're such hard workers. And, you know, we come back from this trip and everybody says, oh, how great it is that you climb Kilimanjaro. You're so brave. You're so courageous. But, Bill, it's it's the porters and the guides that do all the whole the hard work. I mean, they 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 made it all possible, and they just about did everything but carry us up the mountain. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because I, what was the descriptive, Wes, that he used? Uh, borderline neurotic? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Scott's Wurzbacher, borderline neurotic. And for those of us that know, we are motivated differently. Some people need tough love. Some people just need some simple encouragement 
borderline neurotic, Scott. What kind of encouragement or motivation or tough love did the porters have to give you to help you out? Or did they just let you find your own way um, up the mountain? Uh, definitely. They, um, our lead guys, all of them, had huge hearts huge hearts and i could tell that they cared about me um this wasn't just uh you know them just telling me what to do and you know like you said giving me the tough love up the mountain like they were checking in with me constantly and um you know again just just showing me that real sense of caring i mean checking in with my symptoms checking in uh to see how i was feeling and really just giving me the reassurance and encouragement that i needed to keep going and you know again somebody that's climbed the mountain 500 times like it's not it wasn't going to be me that decided if i couldn't make it back up to the top or not i was going to just let him tell me if the guide said scott it's time for you to turn around and go back down i would have done that Uh, but we never got to that point they just kept encouraging me and reassuring me and uh you know i i will tell you i really i didn't know whether i was going to make it to the top until i was actually at the top and we got there and lo and behold it's just sort of this euphoric feeling that came around but i was just you know this sort of wave of amazement came over me and you know it was the guides and the porters that made it happen so you know walk us through what a day is like i know you said seven days but but on any given day, what's the pace? How often are you taking breaks and, you know, kind of collecting yourselves? Or is it just a long march every day? Yeah, yeah it, there definitely is a, sort of a daily progression. And the reason why the climb is as long as it is is because you're going from, you know, sea level, essentially. I mean, I guess we started around 5,000 where the parking lot was, 5,000 feet. But, you know, you're going up to 20,000 feet, and our bodies aren't used to that. So the reason for the time is to give you that opportunity to acclimatize. So, you know, there's a saying out there that you want to climb high and sleep low. So every day we would hike for anywhere from, I would say, four to six or eight hours. Uh, Most days we hiked, you know, four to five hours. Um, and that was usually in the morning. And then in the afternoons, we just kind of chilled out at the campsite and ate food and tried to get some rest and tried to get some nutrients in our bodies. And, um, I've told some people since I got back, what the interesting part was for me, the easiest part was the hiking. It was the moving. It was like when my blood was flowing and I was one foot after the other, the hard part for me was just kind of the waiting around at camp. Um, cause you know, the sort of that anxiety of what the next day is going to bring and, and uh, getting up the climb is just sort of weighing on you. And I feel like for me, when I was moving, uh, I was fine. It was, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, the climb is sort of broken up into those sort of three pieces. It's you're hiking, you're resting or you're eating. And are you eating Gorp the whole time or is there, is there, a, <laughs> is there a Kilimanjaro equivalent? Uh, I mean, you guys, this is the thing about this. The, you know, again, people think you're you're out in the backcountry just going in survival mode. I mean, this was a first-class experience. And just to give you an example, there were four people in my group. We had one lead guide, two assistant guides, and 13 porters. So we had this entourage of 16 people that were, you know, escorting us up the mountain. And every day when we got to camp, 
Uh, our tents were already set up. Our sleeping bags were already in the tents with the mats. Our bags were there. We had a private bathroom tent. We had a private dining tent. And uh, we would go in and sit down and eat, and they would serve us, you know, freshly made food. And uh, there's a whole variety of things like stews and omelets and pancakes and you name it. But, I mean, they fed us really, really well three meals a day. And the service was, you know, I really I felt like I was in a hotel being served. It, it's really pretty amazing that the operation that they have for you uh as a climber you just show up and walk and they do the rest scott wurzbacher had a successful summit to mount kilimanjaro's top and he made his way down scott what would you do differently um and what would uh, you do the same i guess you do the same uh, um i'll let you answer especially what you would do differently um, yeah, I mean, what I would do the same is the, is the pole, pole, slowly, slowly approach and just trust your guides, listen to your guides. Uh, what would I do differently? It's, that's a, that's, that's a kind of an easy question to answer now that I've been there and done that. And actually, it's funny that you're going to be talking to Macon Dunnigan because I actually met Macon and we became friends in Tanzania. Uh, and he gave me some advice ahead of time, but Macon's climbed that mountain a bunch of times. And what he told me was uh, the first time is the hardest um, because the second time all of the pressure of summiting and all of the uncertainty and expectations and such are, you know, they're a non-issue the second time. So, you know, I think for me, if I were to go back, um, I think I would be able to relax a little bit more and enjoy my surroundings. But, you know, the uncertainty of that climb and not knowing how your body's going to react going up that mountain the first time, it's, you know, it, it's a challenge. So I guess for first timers, I would just tell them, you know, just, just trust your guides and, and just, and just go pole pole. One real quick last question. Did you, and this is for our listeners out there who may be planning some kind of international trip. Was it easy traveling that far um, in a non-domestic international type trip, especially with the past two years that we've had? Yeah, it's a great question, and and I I would say the answer is yes. Um, there was a there was one aspect of the whole thing that was that did create additional anxiety for me, and that was the whole uh, COVID testing requirements because we had to get a PCR test before we got on the airplane. That was an entry requirement for Tanzania, and then once we got to Tanzania, we had to take a rapid test in order to leave the airport, and then we had to take another rapid test in order to get on the plane to come home. So, you know, there's always that sort of weighing on you. Um, you just hope and pray that everything's going to be okay and you know if it doesn't you know you figure out what to do with it but uh i think that i think just that kind of created a little bit more anxiety but aside from that uh, i think the travel was really really pretty easy and um you know i mean the, the airports weren't super super busy the flight was pretty full but you know all told the travel experience was really good and i think right now is a really really good time to go well, man, congratulations to you on the successful summit. Congratulations to you for Inspire Campfire. We guess we can go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever people listen to Campfire as well, uh, uh, listen to podcasts, as well as InspireCampfire.com. Scott Wurzbacher, thanks a bunch for being on the Carolina Outdoors. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. Well, we were glad to have you, and we're going to take a quick break and come back and wrap up this edition of the Carolina Outdoors right after this.